This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media, and I'm happy to be here with you tonight. It's Monday night. There's a lot to discuss. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, Joe El Baboso Biden, the president, he, um, he got fact-checked on his numbers, on his Bidenomics numbers, it was uh, over one of the uh, tweets that he put out, and he got the worst grade that you could get, which is a bottomless Pinocchio. This is because what he said was untrue. His claim that he cut the deficit by $1.7 trillion. But he shows no shame, and he keeps repeating the things that are just demonstrably untrue. This is according to a piece in Red State. Uh, Biden was at it again, or perhaps we should say whoever was behind his account was making a false claim about real wages. Right now, real wages for the average American worker are higher than they were before the pandemic, with lower wage workers seeing the largest gains. That's Joe Biden on Twitter. And he says, that's Bidenomics. And then there's a... Uh, you know, like a little, uh, as the British would say, an advertisement. <laughs> and, and I don't mean an ad. I mean like a, a, um, like a warning label uh, that says, the tweet's claim about real wages contains a factual error. On March 15th, 2020, when U.S. COVID lockdowns began, real wages adjusted for inflation, AFI, were $11.15. As of July 16th, 2023, Real wages adjusted for inflation are $11.05, so they're down 10 cents. Real wages after inflation remain lower, not higher than before the pandemic. And they cite uh, the CDC.gov for the, the context that they say is um, necessary. So there you have it. Joe Biden gets fact-checked on his tweet. That is uh, fake, phony, and fraud. And again, look, I get it. Everybody makes mistakes from time to time. I try to be gracious with these things. Uh, but it just wasn't real. So, it, you know, to me, it's, you know, the old saying, the cover-up is worse than the crime. For me, it's the response, right? I try to give you the benefit of the doubt, right? So that means uh, while you were probably lying to begin with, I'm still going to pretend like you weren't lying 
and be like, well, you know, let's let's pretend you weren't lying and uh, give you a chance to say, oh, my bad. That's my fault. I messed up. But no, Joe El Baboso Biden will never do that. So that's Joe El Baboso Biden. Now, his partner in crime, who I don't think likes him and I don't think she uh, likes him and I don't think he likes her. Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, she was at a couple of different places uh, over the last day or two, over the weekend and throughout today. And let me see where this was. This was in Chicago yesterday at the Rainbow Push Coalition Convention. And she had a lot to say about Republicans. But of course, we won't talk about the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, or who I like to say in Spanish, which really means how bad she is, without cueing the little theme song that we made for her. So, Count Delacula, let us cue that music. That's Kemal Aires. That's right. We love Kemal Aires. And that was a little ode that we did to her. Thank you, Count Delacula. I always appreciate hearing... Um, the musical stylings of DLG and their song, Que Mala Eres. <laughs> it's actually called Juliana, but um, it fits the bill here. So Kamala Harris, or as I like to say, Que Mala Eres, she is at it again, this time attacking extreme Republicans. And, you know, I love when they attach these labels, right? Because this has happened to me at the coffee place I go to. The guy the other day told me, he's like, well, you know, extremists like you. I thought extremist, you know, when we started using the term extremist, it was used for people that radicalized their faith to become militant. Right. In, in effect, we're talking about Islamists, not Islamics. And these people were blowing each other up themselves, buildings, whomever. Right. In, in the name of, of a radicalized ideology. So when he calls me an, an extremist, I think, my goodness, this is a little offensive, but you know, I, I made that clarification and he was like, no, but you're radical. You're very radical. You're, 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 a, fa you're a fan. You're a fanatic of this stuff. <laughs> said, okay, very good. And I said, but what does that make you, right? Aren't you a radical? Aren't you a fanatic of the other side? Because you defend them so uh, vociferously. And he was like, well, no, because I call those things that are bad when they are. Uh, trying to intimate that, you know, I, I would never criticize Trump or a Republican. And, and I think that's wrong. I think those who have listened to the show, I do that pretty often. Not so much Trump, because I really do line up with a lot of the things he he um, he says. And I think most of the criticism on Trump, a lot of it is just so. Um, let's see, I don't want to say uh, baseless because that's not even the right word, but lacks substance. Right. So much of it is on his form, on his style not on the actual merit, right? This is why everybody's making the case that they, they prefer a candidate just like him, but that wasn't him, right? Because the policy's good. So the difference between me and them is that I like the policies and I don't care that he's offensive and abrasive to whatever. He is what he is. He's a New Yorker. He's a smart guy. But anyway, this is about Kemal Aydas, not about Trump. So Kemal Aydas, she's at the um, Rainbow Push Coalition Convention and she says that extreme Republicans have an agenda to divide us. Listen to this. In this moment, across our country, we are witnessing hard-fought, hard-won freedoms under full-on attack by extremist so-called leaders. And these extremists have an agenda. 
an agenda to divide us as a nation, an agenda to attack the importance of diversity and equity and inclusion and the unity of the Rainbow Coalition. These extremists wrote legislation and brought litigation to the United States Supreme Court, the court of Thurgood, in 2013 in Shelby v. Holder to destroy hard-fought, hard-won rights around the, the legitimate responsibility a government has to ensure that the people have unfettered access to the ballot. This is Kemalaitis trying to, to make something out of nothing, but the reality is there's, there's not an attack on, uh, there's no extremist attack on diversity. There just isn't. If anything, it's the left that's been using diversity to attack merit and any type of, of, of meritorious effort. To me, that's what matters. I don't care about one's race. I really don't. Many people do, but I don't because ultimately I think best person for the job, right? And really, that's anything. I think if you're getting surgery done, you don't care. I don't care that the surgeon is from Asia or from Africa or from the United States or from anywhere else, as long as they're the best surgeon that you could get me, right? That's my goal. You know, whether it's operating on me or my kid, those are the things that matter to me. I don't care, but, and I think most people don't care, but there are some people that are just race obsessed and, and they do this because it's a means to an end. It's a way to harness um, ill will. People uh, are sensitive to race. And, and we see this time and again throughout history from the United States to Puerto Rico. They use it. It's not even race so much. They just constantly talk about the things that Castro and Che Guevara talked about, like like imperialism and colonialism. And they know that these are trigger words for some people that feel like they have this feeling of inequity. And boom, there you go. Now you've created this strife and you've created division. So to blame the Republicans for something the Democrats have been doing forever and a day, I think is kind of laughable. But that's Kemalaitis for you. Anyway, I want to talk about that a little bit more as we progress throughout the evening. I also want to talk about the war on men and masculinity. We're also going to talk about how you can hack the system to pretend you're black and get admitted through affirmative action to college. That is a great story that we're going to talk about next hour. And also later on, a little bit after that, we're going to talk about how AI-powered robots could help humans combat loneliness if they don't have friends. Yeah, believe it or not, that's a real thing. Crazy. Anyway, don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And there's a war on men. I don't have to tell you about that because I think you know about it already. We've seen it all over the place, right? You guys know I'm a Gen Xer, right? I got into talk radio when I was 39, and I'm 45 now. So you do the math. I'm a little bit older uh, than than some of the uh, millennials and, and uh, younger Gen Xers that are out there. But I'm a little bit younger than uh, so many of my colleagues in this field. And I can tell you, in the generation that I've been alive, right, what I've seen, I remember a time when dads were kind of revered 
and and manly men were cool, right? You know, like I grew up watching shows like The A-Team and Little House on the Prairie where Charlie Ingalls, you know, was with his family. They'd pray together and everybody loved Pa, right? He, he was just the guy in that show. Um, today, things have changed from like, you know, Family Matters with Urkel and, and Carl Winslow to Uncle Phil on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And little by little, there's been this transition where there's a mockery made of dads and where we are today, where there's the absence of fathers, there's all sorts of craziness on television, and television in and of itself is dissipating. But that's not the, that's kind of like the um, uh, cloak and dagger war on, on masculinity and men. But there's more out there. And there's a, a lot of critics out there that are uh, in agreement with me and others that say, yeah, that's out there. And some people are angry with these critics because of a million different things. And one such critic is Andrew Tate. Now, this guy's a former kickboxer, and he's been in trouble lately. And, and some people love him. Some people hate him. Uh, but there's an excellent piece in The Federalist. And the title, if you don't like Andrew Tate, maybe you're not his audience. That's a pretty nice libertarian bent to, to the headline. And I think it's terrific. Uh, we have the author of this, Avida Duffy Alfonso, with us. Avida, welcome back. Thanks for having me. You bet. So uh, let's uh, walk us through your piece. I want as many people as possible to read it on thefederalist.com. Uh, but I know that there's a lot of people out there that Andrew Tate is, is a hot-button issue for. To me, this isn't really the issue. It's just a starting point to the larger conversation. of. And I think that a lot of the things he says make a lot of sense, despite whether you like the guy or not. It's kind of like how I feel about Trump, right? But despite what, what, uh, whether you like the guy or not, what he says makes a lot of sense. Tell us about your piece. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was going to actually backtrack just for a second. I've known about Andrew Tate since last summer, sort of when he rose in major prominence. He was the most Googled right. man in America last year. And I, I asked my brothers, right? I'm, I'm the oldest of nine kids. So I have a lot oh, of wow. younger brothers. I didn't know you and were I the also, oldest. Yes, oldest of nine. And I also, um, I happened to this past weekend when the Tucker interview was released with Andrew Tate, which is now the most watched interview of all time with 80 million views. I happened to be with a lot of my extended family as well. So I asked my, my brothers and also my cousins who are in preteen and teen years. So they're all sort of middle and high school age and they all knew who Andrew Tate was and they all loved him. And I asked them, I said, why, what, what is it? What is it about this man that really makes you so captivated. Why, why, why do you want to listen to him? You know, he has these, this sort of shady past. He's has these charges in Romania. Um, what, what makes you so interested? And they really said, you know, he's, he's speaking to us, but he's, he's saying things that we're not he hearing in school, that we're not hearing anywhere else from other social media influencers. He's saying, you know, work, work hard, uh, work out, be, you know, quit porn, Let, do, do things that will increase your testosterone, that will, will make you a masculine man, that will end up making you a healthier person, not just physically, but also mentally. And they were saying, you know, he's one of the only people that are, are telling us this. And I just love, and there's also something very um, interesting about his vibrato, right? He's not the same as, as a Jordan Peterson. I said this in the piece, J Jordan Peterson is a wonderful figure for young men, but he's also mm -hmm. not exactly the same. I think, I think, Jordan Peterson is more like a psychology professor and Andrew Tate is like the football coach. And he has, you know, this, this vibrato about him. He's very, uh, he's very young. He's very energetic. He's kind of crass. 
And to a lot of young men, that's something that's really uh, attractive and they're really captivating. And I think to have somebody in the culture that's speaking to young men in a really positive way, diagnosing the problems of our society and then giving them concrete ways that they can fix their lives, but also fix their lives, but also better the world around them is a really positive thing, irrespective of other reasons you might have to not like um, Andrew Tate. Yeah, and I think uh, that's a great point because, again, uh, what I said before, and I totally agree with you, it's not Andrew Tate, right? It's it's really what he's talking about. He's, I think, bringing these truths, whether you like the messenger or not, the truths remain the same. Uh, I think it, it's uh, fundamental, fundamentally important for men to be men and for women to be women. And I think this is problematic for people that are trying to blur those lines in today's day and age. Now, from from your perspective and from from writing the piece, and I think it was a really uh, well thought out piece, what is the um, the 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 main allure when whether it was with your extended family and your siblings or others that that you find people find because the critics say he's a misogynist, he's this and he's that and he may or may not be those things. But what is the allure? Because I remember before he was the most Googled guy ever. He was all over social media and a lot of people didn't know who he was. He was just this guy that had these clever quotes and people were like, man, this guy's really good. But nobody knew he was. And then they figured out who he was and he became really, really famous. And then he was all over and then they tried to get rid of him. (laughs) And it it was just an interesting turn of events. And and for me, when I look at that content, I feel like he just he has a way of of giving you the truth in a very raw and unfiltered way, whether you like it or not. Here it is. And I mean, that's what it is for me that I appreciate what was the sense you got from, you know, the, um, the audience that you spoke with? So I, I actually think it's, it's, it's a couple of things. I think it's the humor, right? I think he's actually a very funny guy. He, he, he's not like a joke teller and, and like a stand-up comedian kind of a way, but the things that he says are supposed to be very sort of inflammatory. One of them that I mentioned in the piece was, uh, he says, I don't believe in depression. It's not real. Depression isn't real, which everybody got all up in arms about that. Like, Oh my gosh, depression is totally real. And Mm. you're just crazy for saying that. And so wrong. Um, but then when you actually let him explain himself after he says those things that make a lot of young men sort of chuckle and, and sort of draw them into his, to his, you know, rhetoric, um, he actually has a very nuanced take on depression because, you know, I, I believe in mental illness. I believe you can have a, a serious chemical imbalance. The problem is that a lot of people don't have clinical depression. They have human emotions that are wrongfully being um, dealt with, with over-prescribing and these, yeah, and these uh, antidepressant drugs. Right. And and the way to, to change that and to make yourself feel better is actually not a pill, but lifestyle changes. It's working out. Um, it's, it's being motivated. It's it's doing things that, that are going to not just help you physically, but also help you mentally. That's how you're going to get rid of the depression. Folks, we're on with Evita Duffy. We're going to continue this conversation. Fascinating piece in The Federalist. The war on men is the topic. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back. We're on with Avita Duffy. She's a staff writer at The Federalist and co-founder of The Chicago Thinker. And we're discussing a, a piece she's written on Andrew Tate. You got to check it out on Federalist.com. Good piece. Title is, uh, what is the title here? If you don't like Andrew Tate, maybe you're not his audience. But the overarching theme is uh, he kind of tells it how it is on a lot of issues of making men masculine again. And it seems that that's very um, unwelcomed in a time where there's a war on masculinity. Avita Duffy, you were wrapping up before, and I feel like you you had more to say on the on the response on why people uh, find Andrew Tate refreshing. Right. Well, I, I think for, for me personally, um, I, I really like that he has a cultural utility beyond. Um, you know, just speaking to men and telling them to work out. There's a lot of men in the internet manosphere, right, who are saying, you know, be healthy, be fit, you know, get off these antidepressants, get get off the video games, start to go outside, live a life, and then you'll be able to have a job and, and, and be more attractive to women and you'll, you'll just be happy. Okay, that's one thing and that's a great thing. But what I like that Andrew Tate also does is he's talking to young men about issues that they probably wouldn't hear about unless they were reading. And the truth is Gen Z is not reading anymore. I'm a writer. I, 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 I have people, I need people to read for a living, right? But I'll readily admit that people don't read these days. And what he's yeah. exposing them to is global authoritarianism, um, which we're seeing a rise in. If we talk about the World Economic Forum, the plans that they have in Davos, the way that you look at our own government, limiting free speech, um, they had to have a, you know, a, a, a circuit court tell them you guys cannot be colluding with big tech to be censoring your political opponents anymore they had to literally be told you have to respect the first amendment that's how bad things have gotten in this country and so andrew tate is exposing that to these young men and telling them it's not just important that you be a man because it is healthy for you but it's also healthy for our society because if you are neutered by the system, by the public school system, um, by, by the medical industry, right? By these, these actually by the global elites, really, who don't want individual men to be strong. They prefer that they be weak, that so they're more easy to control. If you don't actually uh, get yourself in line, it becomes way easier for our society to be controlled and really for a form of neo-feudalism to uh, emerge in the West, which we're seeing so increasingly, especially after COVID. I say it all the time, mm-hmm. and Andrew Tate says it all the time, that COVID was a social experiment, really. It was the reaction, at least, is a social experiment. It was a test run and how far we can push the masses to relinquish their civil liberties. And Andrew Tate will say that the most important thing for a man, really, in, in, in the wake of that was to stand up, and so many men 
didn't. They wore the mask. They got the vaccine. They were completely compliant. I was on a college campus, right? I graduated um, in, in the spring of 2022. So I, I saw it firsthand. These men have become sheep. And, and yeah. Andrew Tate says, you can't, you can't have a population that is so willing to relinquish their rights, but especially men willing to relinquish their rights to the state. Otherwise, really dangerous times are coming. I think that is so important for young men to hear. And really, they're hearing it from Andrew Tate and not many others. Yeah, You know, Avita, something that you, you, you mentioned uh, ties in perfectly with what you're talking about. It's in your piece. Uh, and I, I just want to share a passage with the listeners. Uh, ultimately, Tate tells his young audience that everything comes down to authoritarianism. Every government on earth, all of them, they all want to be as controlling as possible over their citizens. He theorizes that things like radical transgender, like the radical transgender movement are a deliberate attack on our senses and serve the government by conditioning us to ignore our eyes. He says depression is a fantastic way to subdue a population because if everybody's depressed, it's hard to have a revolution. I think that's inarguable. It's just yeah. fact. And it goes to what you were saying. If you have this, not only, um, you know, it used to be gun control, right? We don't want to have a disarmed populace. But now it's we want to have a neutered populace that just won't fight and, and is happy to, to go along with whatever they're told to do in the name of COVID or in the name of whatever. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lack of civic education or what he's talking about, a lack of people, um, you know, focusing on personal strength and whatnot. Uh, do do you did you get a sense from any of the uh, I'm going to call them your control group, your cousins and your siblings? <laughs> did you get any sense from your control group on on how they've responded to to those points? Yeah, I, so what, one of one of my cousins, um, he he's actually very apolitical, and he lives yeah. he lives in Seattle, which is a really hard place to live Sorry <laughs> to hear for that. anyone. But I, but yeah, I know exactly. He says as a as a young teen, right? And you're, it, it's it's probably nowhere worse um, in in the public school system than in Seattle, right? And and so he he and he he has you know semi conservative parents, but also ones that have to have to be very uh, have to self censor a lot because of the place that they live in. And he um, he was he was very uh, interested in what Andrew Tate was talking about when it comes to authoritarianism, when it comes. To, to COVID and the societal systemic problems that we're seeing that Andrew Tate is identifying. And he actually talked with myself and my parents about it all weekend. Um, and it was, it was almost like, it, and I think that's also very important. And this is what I also say in the piece that Andrew Tate is great. He's exposing young people to a lot of stuff, but the most important person to teach a boy how to become a man or just to, to teach them about the world is really their fathers. And so a- Andrew Tate is great. And he's he's a wonderful supplement. But um, if you're if you're a dad or a grandfather and you're listening, uh, Andrew Tate's not going to save the world either. I think he's wonderful because kids are spending so much time online and they're being raised by the Internet these days. But it, it you need to be talking to your kids about these things as well, because as I saw from my cousin, he was like, he's talking about these things. Help me understand it better. You need an adult. You need a parent or a fatherly figure um, to walk you through this kind of these kind of topics um, and, to, and to really direct yourself and not not be uh, destroyed, really consumed by the Internet, because you can go down Andrew the Andrew Tate path and it might be a good thing for you. But you can go down a bunch of different ones as well without parental guidance. And so I, I think it's my, my my message to the piece is really, you know, two things like it's it's great that Andrew Tate is doing this, but parents also 
need to step up because the school system is going to be trying to destroy your children. And you have to come home every night at dinner and, and deprogram them. Literally, you have to go back and deprogram your kids at the dinner table every night unless you want to homeschool, which I highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. Folks, we're on with Vita Duffy. She is the founder of Chicago Thinker, and she's a staff writer at Federalist.com. Continuing our discussion on the emasculation of men. What's up with this war on masculinity? Don't go anywhere. Again, our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. As we're discussing the um, attack on masculinity, the war on men, we've got the main man in the White House, Joe El Baboso Biden, who um, can't explain, won't even make an attempt to explain what, why there was cocaine in the White House. Um, yet, yet here we are with Joe Biden named the, uh, what's that, the one of the most ethical presidents, according to Time magazine. Uh, our guest is Avita Duffy. She's with Federalist.com. She's also the founder of Chicago Thinker. Avita, let's talk about uh, your piece, 13 Reasons Joe Biden Isn't the Ethical President Time Magazine Claims That He Is. Uh, what's the angle there? Well, the, the, the first is that it's absolutely ridiculous that Time Magazine would publish an article saying that Joe Biden is one of the most ethical presidents we've had and so much more moral than President Trump. I mean, it's it's the great it's the propaganda press really in in full in in full light. Um, and, and I just did a little listicle of all the reasons why Joe Biden is not an ethical president at all. The first one being the alleged bribes that he's that he's taken from um, the Ukrainian uh, business businessmen in from Burisma, which his son then was on the board for uh, several years in 2014 to 2019. Um, there's that, but then you also have weaponizing the federal government. 80K a month, by the way. 80K a month. Right. <laughs> um, and and we, there might be actually uh, video recordings proving this. We don't know because the FBI is withholding information from Congress, which is mm. another interesting topic. Um, and then we also have him weaponizing the federal government against his most likely political opponent in 2024. Um, that's President Trump. And then, of course, withholding federal documents. So he's prosecuting Trump for uh, withholding uh, classified documents. Yet he himself withheld classified documents and wasn't the president, so did not have the power to declassify said classified documents. Mm -hmm. um, and then what I just I won't go through all of them, but I'll, I went to the top four. And my 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 the one that gets me the most really is the unpersoning of his seventh grandchild. He mm. uh, Hunter Biden had a daughter. With, well, let's give uh, a little context a there, right? Because there was a yeah. there was a big battle in in a I think it was a Tennessee court over paternity of this child and and 
child support and he tried to get the child support lowered after saying it wasn't his kid. And, and now that they know it is his kid, he's still saying that, um, you know, they, they, they can't use the Biden name because it would bring him like undue duress. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing. And, but not just not just that. Right. So they won't let this little four year old girl who is adorable. Um, they won't let her take the Biden family name. But neither Hunter nor President Joe Biden has met this little girl. And then they go to the media and Joe Biden will do press stories. One of them was with People magazine saying, meet my my uh, my six grandchildren, purposely ignoring his seventh grandchild, pretending literally like she doesn't exist. That is um, not what a good moral grandfather does. I'll also say there's some sexism in that because if it was uh, the the daughter of President Biden's daughter, right, there would it would be a lot more difficult for them to ignore the child um, and and to to claim that she isn't part of the Biden family, right? But because it's it's Biden's son Hunter, there is the ability to sort of disown disown maybe. Navy Biden. I'm going to call her Biden because I think she is a Biden. Um, they have the ability to do that. And I think that that's really sexist, especially coming from this, this supposed champion of, of, of uh, women and equality and, and all of this. I think that's a really interesting point as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think number five is a really interesting one. It's the waging war on the First Amendment. And we've seen this one time and again, and even um, I would say even those on the left have had to call them out about this. Right. I mean, so I I mentioned in the last segment, but we there has been a a court case literally telling the administration you cannot partner with big tech companies to suppress free speech, particularly free speech against your political enemies, which is what they were doing during COVID. And then, of course, in the lead up to the 2020 election, I'll also say that it's not just um, specifically the White House, but it's the entire Biden administration. You have the FBI under under Biden uh, targeting Catholics uh, for going to Latin mass and targeting parents at mm-hmm. school board meetings um, for, for standing up against critical race theory. And actually those two uh, related to those two cases, um, the House Judiciary Committee has subpoenaed the FBI asking for documents related to those um, those two subjects. And the FBI has refused to comply. And now Christopher Ray may be held in contempt of Congress for it. So, I mean, this administration has been targeting um, and, and attacking the Ameri- their, their political enemies. But in general, the First Amendment and the, the most sacred rights of the American people, that's, this, that's what's defined this entire administration. So to call Joe Biden an ethical president is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with that. And Avita, I want uh, to to learn a little bit about, I think you told me about it the last time you were here, but remind all of us about the Chicago Thinker. Yeah, so I, I, so I am on the board of directors for the Chicago Thinker, so I'm not the managing editor anymore, but it's a college paper um, that I started as a junior um, that has had some viral moments. They were one of the few that stood really strong against um, COVID, our writers have been, when Tucker was on Fox, they were on Tucker several times. Um, they, they do really, really great work um, on a college campus reporting on college news, but also on the city of Chicago, which has no conservative representation at all. And it is a dying city and such an example of what Democrats have done um, to, to any sort of city that they've gotten a hold of. And this 
this little publication of, 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 you know, 20 students has really been, been showing the rest of the world what's happening in that city and what's happening on college campuses in America. You know, and that was really the allure for me. I'm thinking, you know, it's it's rare to have good conservative content anywhere, let alone a place like Chicago. So I'm sure it was an uphill battle to get that off the ground. And um, congratulations on the work you did there and the work that you're doing at The Federalist. Folks, check out her writing at thefederalist.com. Avita Duffy, let everybody know where they can um, follow you and, you know, check out the work that you're working on. Yeah, so thefederalist.com is a great one. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Avita Duffy underscore one outstanding give her a follow folks keep up the good work godspeed to you avita we appreciate you coming and staying up late with us thanks so much you're welcome folks there is more to come straight ahead don't go anyway your calls and more right now this is america at night with rich valdez call now 833-4-VALDEZ that's 833-482-5337 833-4-VALDEZ that's valdez with an s With Rich Valdez. So, like we mentioned in the previous segment, um, Time Magazine has a piece out a couple of days ago. Biden is resetting the ethical norms Trump trampled as president. Now, I think this is fascinating considering there was cocaine found in the White House. There's um, the first son that's under investigation and has pled guilty to federal crimes. Uh, one of them involving a gun. I, mean, I think this is an interesting um, uh, way to to go about that, saying that he's the most ethical president. And I realize the the sins of the son shouldn't be, you know, charged to the father. But let's let's get real here, right? I mean, let's really take a look at what's actually happening. Do you think Joe Biden is resetting the ethical norms? that Trump trampled as president. Let's go to our callers. Let's see what we got here. Matt, Eastern North Carolina, WTKF. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, sir. Likewise. I was shocked to hear that. I was about to go to sleep. I'm vice president of a company, but I have to, I can't miss your show, man. Oh, thank you. So buddy. listen to this. Listen to this. That is the stupidest thing Time Magazine ever put out. Did you hear me? Oh, yeah. Stupidest thing Time Magazine ever put out. I, I agree with you. I think it's it's kind of crazy to say that this is. Uh, but again, I understand that they're making the case in the piece that, you know, they're, Joe Biden has no ethical violations and whatnot. And, and this is how they make the case. So they're saying everything that, you know, we're talking about is circumstantial. And therefore, he's, you know, he's really the most ethical because the other guy, uh, tr Trump, trampled the truth, trampled the law. Heck, he's been indicted twice, and they're thinking he's going to be indicted again. Well, uh, it's like saying Charles Manson is a really good guy. 
<laughs> I agree with you. I mean, it's a. I don't know that. I don't know that I would call Joe Biden a uh, a serial killer just yet, but um, he might not be too far off. You know what I mean, Matt? Uh, especially with not intervening in the carnage in uh, Ukraine. Thanks for your call, my brother. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Eastern North Carolina, WTKF, and we're going to continue our conversation tonight. We're next up. Let's see what do we got here. Next up. Oh, we've got an amazing story. Lindy, uh, Mindy Kaling's brother, VJ Shokal Ingham, he, he pretended to be black in order to get into Harvard Medical School. His story's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, our telephone number. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, you're welcome to do it, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And it's hot, right? It's hot in a lot of places. There's uh, heat waves all over the place. And these Canadian wildfires, you guys know I'm out of New York, and here... There, there's a, one of those air quality alerts in place today, and I'm thinking, geez, when is this ever going to stop, right? I, I can't imagine this going on forever. Every now and again, they're just saying, hey, we have an air quality alert. Because, I mean, the first time it happened, it, it looked like it was, I don't know, um, like red dawn, like it was the end of the world. It was horrible. It smelled like a fireplace everywhere you went, and it was like orange and hazy. Anyway, uh, this seems to be the gift that keeps on giving. So... That's that. Then there's the movie, um, The Sound of Freedom. They are blowing it away. I think they're at $83 million in box office success. Definitely not a one-hit wonder. They've uh, had, uh, I think the first, they came out on July 4th, so they're like their third or second weekend in a row going into their third, and uh, they're blowing away the uh, expectations that Hollywood had for them, while Hollywood's up in arms with their own strike. So things are crazy on, on that end. Plus, there's a, a study out that discusses how AI-powered robots can help humans that are lonely. Yeah, that's a real story. We're going to get to that uh, at, after the bottom of the hour. But right now, I want to talk about something that we've been talking about um, in, in depth for the last uh, several weeks since the Supreme Court issued the ruling on affirmative action. And it's reminiscent of a movie back in 1986 called Soul Man with C. Thomas Howell. Uh, sort of, right? There's a book, and and this book is fascinating. It's a fascinating book, Almost Black, right? And Almost Black, check it out at almostblack.com. The author is Vijay Shokal Ingham. He is, um, the book is about him and, and his alter ego, Jojo. And rather than me 
uh, tell you about the book. I want him to tell you about his own story of how he was able to get into Harvard Medical School. And I think it's a, it's a fascinating story. He also has a, an op-ed that came out just about a week ago in the New York Post. Vijay, welcome, sir. Welcome. I, I guess I should mention it wasn't Harvard Medical School. I actually went to St. Louis University oh, uh, School me. of Medicine in Missouri. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was quite an, an adventure. Um, I guess I, I like to think of myself, I'm living proof uh, of the racism and hypocrisy of, of affirmative action. Uh, back when I, when I was an undergrad at UChicago, I remember I, I met this light-skinned constitutional law professor by the name of Barack Obama. And hmm. I remember looking at this dude and saying, if he can call himself black and go to Harvard, then why can't I? And so, you know, when I did apply to medical school late in college, I remember looking at the statistics published by the American Association of Medical Colleges and figuring out that as a, as a dark-skinned Indian American, I, I didn't have much chance of admission to med school. But uh, if I said I was black, I had a, had a much higher chance. So that's exactly what I did. I shaved my head. I trimmed my long Indian eyelashes. I joined the organization of black students, and I applied to medical school as a black man. Uh, I got waitlisted at Washington University and the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Uh, those are the third and fourth best med schools in the country at the time. And I got into St. Louis University School of Medicine, uh, despite the fact that my uh, 3.1 GPA uh, was dramatically lower uh, than their average of 3.7. Uh, in case you were wondering, all three of those schools publicly endorsed affirmative action uh, in the Supreme Court's recent students for fair admissions case. So those mm. policies continue to the present day. In fact, until the Supreme Court recently outlined the, the practice, uh, you know, according to the American Association of Medical Colleges, somebody who applied to med school in 2016 with my trades and test scores had a 18% chance of admission as Asian, 28% chance as white. So until very recently, you could have pulled the same scam today, and it probably would have worked. Uh, not that I'm encouraging you to try. Now, Vijay, tell us about how you came up with hacking, this this hack of the system, right? Because uh, it, it just, uh, I know you, you met Obama and whatnot, but it seems like it was really um, a well-thought-out plan. Something obviously would have never occurred to me. Uh, and I feel like there's so many people listening thinking, this is brilliant, right? This guy's a genius. <laughs> He's come up with such a great way to, to make things that aren't fair work for him. But um, was it as easy as you're making it sound, or were there some hurdles along the way? Sure. I guess what, what happened was I, I, my best friend, who was, a, uh, who was a year older than me in school, got rejected. He was an Indian guy just like me. And he got rejected from every med school he applied to. And I was like, he had better grades at test scores than me. So I was like, I'm finished. Oh, boy. Right. And uh, then I, I read about this Indian guy, uh, actually in, in New Jersey of all place, who in Rommel Naboy, who pulled the same scam the year I did. He got into like a whole bunch of like really prestigious med schools, but they eventually like they began an investigation and they figured out that he lied about like a whole bunch of other stuff on his application. And ultimately, funny, they didn't they didn't nail him because he lied about being you know, Indian, not black. They nailed him because he lied about like being a national merit scholar. And I was an actual national merit scholar. So I was like, what if I pull the same scam as this guy? I just didn't lie about anything else except my race. So if there was ever investigation, they could say, well, you lied about your race, but we can't really prove that. Uh, But you know, everything else in your application is squeaky clean. So I was like, that's kind of how I came up with the idea. I heard of that movie 
but I actually followed in the footsteps of this other guy who tried to do the same thing only in a, you know, in a more crooked way than I did. Wow. And so you embark on this journey and, and, and you apply to multiple schools, you get waitlisted in a couple, you get into another. Um, where do you go from there? Uh, so what happens, I, you know, I, I went to med school at SLU. I dropped out after a couple of years. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, the, just, the late great justice, Anthony Scalia, had this what's called a mismatch theory, which said essentially that affirmative action doesn't really benefit minorities because ultimately uh, it hurts them, you know, ultimately. So I'm kind of living proof of that because I did drop out of medical school. I ultimately got my MBA at, at UCLA, uh, which is a school that doesn't practice affirmative action admissions. I didn't have to pose as black uh, to get into UCLA. I got into merit. And I had a really wonderful uh, experience there. I learned that it, it was possible to have a diverse class of African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanics, and whites, and uh, a rich educational experience without practicing racial discrimination, the form of affirmative action. Um, then uh, the attorney general of the state of of uh, California, a woman you might have heard of named Camilla Harris, uh, <laughs> tried to reinstate affirmative action at uh, at UCLA, and I decided I, I had to fight back against that. So that's when I kind of wrote my book, and that's when I kind of became active in you know, students for a fair admission, joining Edward Bloom in this lawsuit against Harvard uh, and other schools, and also uh, being part of the successful No on Proposition 16 campaign. Uh, in California, which you know, in, in not exactly a uh, not exactly a, a, a red state, uh, mm-hmm. we won fifty seven percent of the vote and kept affirmative action illegal uh, at California institutions, including my beloved alma mater, UCLA. So I've been, you know, I've, I've been on quite a journey since then. Nice work. We're going to continue to talk about your journey and your book, Almost Black. Check it out at almostblack.com. We're on with VJ Shokal Ingham. His uh, alter ego, Jojo, is who he posed as when he was posing as being black in order to get into college. We're coming right back with him straight ahead, plus your calls if you have questions for him, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Is America? This is night. This is Rich Valdez. So he posed as a black student in order to get into medical school, and he got in. Uh, VJ Ingham has an amazing story. His book, Almost Black, uh, How I Got Into Medical School Posing as a Black Student. Uh, VJ is with us. Now, VJ, what type of backlash did you face? when um, people heard your story that you were posing as a, as a black person in order to get into college? Uh, so, you know, I, well, I revealed it much later. Uh, so nobody, you know, at, at the time, nobody, nobody really knew about it except my, my fellow fraternity brothers. Uh, years later, when they were trying to, you know, uh, reinstate affirmative action at UCLA, that's when I finally went in to kind of reveal my story. Uh, my sister, Mindy Kaling, uh, you know, kind of, she, I mean, she, she, she was not thrilled about it. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but Hollywood isn't exactly a, uh, isn't exactly a place that's friendly to conservative ideas, for example, opposing mm-hmm. affirmative action. So she wanted nothing to do with it. And she said, hey, you know, uh, 
you know, this book will bring shame on our family. So I don't want anything to do with it. I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> myself. <laughs> do, do you feel so that was I, the case? Or do you feel that people are congratulating you saying, you know, great job? So, you know, my, um, my grandfather was, was always very proud to say that as a young man, he met Mohandas Gandhi when he was a student at the University of Dhaka and joined the struggle for Indian independence. I will always be proud to say that I met Edward Bloom and uh, joined Students for Fair Admissions and was part of the successful No on Proposition 16 campaign. I'll always be proud to say that I was a fighter for the cause of equal access uh, to education in the United States. Um, you know, the, the, the hundred schools who publicly endorsed affirmative action uh, in the Supreme Court's uh, Students for Fair Admissions case, uh, those schools have sent millions. They received tens of billions of taxpayer dollars, and they sent millions of rejection letters to applicants whose only fault may have been the color of their skin or, or the shape of their eyes and, um, you know, their race. And, I, you know, if chances are good, if you're listening to this program today, chances are good that you or, or someone you cared about got one of those letters. And I want to be your voice. I want to expose the hypocrisy of the system. So, yeah, it's, you know, I've gotten some negative response, but uh, I'm also proud to say that I fought for something that was worth fighting for. Um, you know, affirmative action is a form of racism, and racism is, is like violence and hatred. It's, it's ultimately self-destructive. Yeah, well put. Now, uh, Vijay, uh, tell us about the work you're doing now. What, what are you, um, how do you keep yourself busy? Uh, so I'm actually a uh, an admissions consultant for Los Angeles Resume Service in Los Angeles. I help people apply to college and graduate school. I also help people who are applying for uh, jobs in uh, in California, and, and it's a lot of actors. You know, just being Los Angeles, a lot of actors are my clients. So I have kind of a perspective on this whole uh, Screen Actors Guild thing that's happening on too. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I do. I use the skills and knowledge I gained through this whole thing in terms of helping people to market themselves effectively. Wow. Fascinating. Now we have uh, one of our callers that's listening across the country, Andrew, he's in Sebring, Florida, WWTK is the radio station. Andrew, you have a question for VJ. Go right ahead. I don't know if it's so much a question or uh, a comment. Uh, VJ, my, my name is Andrew and I'm a Jamaican Indian. However, I look very much like I'm from India, there's not too much you can tell different. We've been here for a long time in this country. The first thing my father told me when we got here was, in this country, either black or white, and don't get it twisted, we are not white. <laughs> so I don't understand how you feel you pulled such a big trick, because really and truly, you are black. Okay, Andrew, thank you. VJ, so did you find a lot of nuance between uh, black and brown? Uh, sure. So, you know, I, part of the story, there's, you know, obviously I, I emphasize the affirmative action part of the story. So, you know, it, what started as a scam uh, to gain admission to medical school turned into a twisted social experiment. Um, mm -hmm. Cops harassed me. Store clerks accused me of shoplifting. Wow. Uh, women were either scared of me or, or, or couldn't keep away from me. I remember walking into a, you know, a store that I'd shopped in hundreds of times uh, when I just looked like just another Indian American doctor's son. And when I shaved my head and looked black, they accused me of shoplifting or driving down Lakeshore Drive in Chicago uh, and getting pulled over by cop and saying, how did you get such a nice car? 
And so, you know, there's a fundamental difference when you look like just an, a dark-skinned Indian doctor's son uh, than when you look like a, uh, you know, an African-American in America. And so I, I discovered that there was that huge difference. So, you know, there, there are other darker sides of race relations in America that I discovered on this adventure. And what were some of the, um, the uh, how did you get into character for it? Besides the <clears throat> shaving your head, was it, did you change the way you dressed? Was there a uh, dialectical aspect to it? So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny. So, you know, when I was play, on the basketball courts, you know, every day, me and my, uh, my buddies and I and, the, and the, my, my frat boys and I would play pickup basketball and we'd meet people like, you know, this constitutional law professor named Barack Obama. And the guy just talked like the rest of us. You know, he didn't like talk any differently. So I just mm. talked like him. I just talked the way I, I always did. I didn't change the way I, I behaved. Now, maybe I should have because... You know, the climax of the book is me walking into a med school interview and actually being at Case Western Reserve and having the black doctor confront me about the fact that I was lying about my race. I'm not an actor like my sister, Mindy Kaling. So, you know, I can't pull off this whole pretending to be somebody else. Right. I just pretended to be myself. I'm kind of, a you know, did my best Barack Obama, I guess, if you could say that and hope for the best and you know only you know very limited number of times people confront me about it so other than my appearance shaving my head trimming my eyelashes i didn't do anything or behave i mean joining the organization of black students and using my middle name jojo i didn't change anything about the way i behaved and you know? in joining the uh, the black student union where were, was that something that you were did you meet any opposition there were you welcome with open arms it was welcome in open arms. It was just a cool social networking organization. They actually got me a pretty cool internship. Um, a girl who I'd kind of dated a close friend of mine was the president of the club. And, you know, I kind of told her like quite very quietly one day, she was doing, and she got a kind of a crazy laugh out of it. She said, you know, VJ, you better not tell anyone in the club that you're pulling this because they'll you know, go crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I just kind of joined this club. I showed up for the meetings. I paid dues. Uh, they threw the best parties on campus, but I wasn't like the most active member. It was really just to check a box so I could claim something and nobody would question me. Right. And of course, the bottom line was you knew that if you applied, um, you know, just as a, a South Asian Indian American, you wouldn't get in because you'd seen that already happen to your friend. Yeah. I mean, as I said, the statistics say I had 18% chance of admission as Asian, uh, 75% or 76% as black. So by checking a box, I improved my chances of admission by 70%. I'm sorry, wow. 60%. So I tripled yeah. my chance, more than tripled my chance of admission. Like Jay-Z said, men and women lie, but numbers don't. VJ Jojo Shokal Ingham, tell us um, how we, people can follow you and uh, support the work that you're doing today. Sure. So I'm very proud to uh, to join uh, Students for Fair Admissions and Edward Bloom on the front steps of the Supreme Court to support uh, this cause. You know, you can go to you know, Students for Fair Admissions, Edward Bloom. We have a whole fight to come now um, with the new uh, Supreme Court. We've got to enforce it. So supporting Students for Fair Admissions, getting involved in campaigns against affirmative action. Sounds good. We'll have you back to talk about that as well. Folks, Check out the website, almostblack.com. BJ, I want to thank you for being here with us. 
excellent story. And of course, there's more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about AI robots and how they might help lonely people. Don't go anywhere. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. 30% of Americans are living in households comprised of one person. So you got a record share of Americans that are living alone. Now, there's a study out that says that these these people, many people, I'll give you the, I'll give you the stats. Don't go anywhere. New study shows that, let's see, we got approximately one in 10 people experiencing loneliness all or most of the time. And what this does in turn is it elevates their risk of cardiovascular disease and premature death by 33%. Crazy. But that's, that's where we're at in uh, today's day and age. Crazy, really crazy number. Uh, to think that, you know, when I was a kid, there was people were crammed into these smaller apartments, smaller homes. People couldn't fit their entire family in there. Now you've got a record number of Americans that are living alone. And one in 10 experiencing loneliness all or some of the time. Now, obviously, there's a loneliness epidemic and uh, I think even the Surgeon General um, sounded the alarm on that recently. So what's the answer? Well, we hear every day about artificial intelligence and how, you know, there's a, an article in Reuters saying they promise that they're not going to steal our jobs or rebel against humans. Uh, Fox Business is reporting that Elon Musk has a, a new AI company. But some are saying that a mechanical companion, right, an AI-powered robot could potentially help combat human loneliness. And that's according to a, a new study that's out. These companions could assist isolated individuals with reducing potential health risks that come along with chronic solitude, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fascinating topic to me because, again, I'm not a huge fan of AI, but mainly because I think I, I just, I, I don't know it. It's unfamiliar and it just seems creepy in many ways. But when you put it like that, it makes me think maybe this is the new version of a dog, right? A dog and a smartphone combined as one. I don't know. Let's uh, find out. We're going to check in with Christy Kearns. She's a life coach, and uh, she's got a, an opinion on how AI-powered robots could help humans combat loneliness. I don't know. Christy Kearns, what say you? Let's see. Well, I don't know if um, AI can actually help replace humans, but do I believe that they can help Somewhat, I'm not 100% there, obviously. Um, you know, robots can't emotionally be intelligent. They lack empathy. That's they also, it? No, oh, no. <laughs> they, lack, they lack everything. They're, basically, you're programming them to interact with you is the, on the studies that um, I have done. And I actually watched the movie Her again just to kind of touch base with <laughs> from 2013, which was very interesting. But um, the ending is not very well, as you could see by that movie. It's, you know, she had to go on her merry way because they were shutting her down. So she actually ended up leaving the human which was very interesting because that's why we are getting AI is 
can never be left. Yeah. So based on your experience, and again, because I think people, there are a lot of pro-AI um, proponents out there that think that this stuff is terrific and it's, it's going to be great. And, and I'm sure it is in many ways. Uh, but there's also a lot of critics of AI. And then there's people like me that are in between that are kind of like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but ultimately, the idea that you could have a robot, uh, like I believe, I don't know what these robots would look like if they look like people or what they look like. But I could, you know, there was a story, of, I don't know, maybe a year ago about people uploading the voice of a familiar loved one that maybe passed away. So some people are saying, you know, if your mom passed away and you want your mom to to be around a little more or feel like she's around a little more, you could program your smart speaker, let's say like an Amazon Alexa speaker with your mom's voice so that your Alexa is now your mom's voice and you could set up reminders and all these things. And at first I thought, that's kind of interesting. You know, it would be nice. Um, you know, something that I personally did when my mom died was I had, I was notorious for like not taking my mom's calls because I felt she called at the most inopportune time. And it was like, come on, mom, in the middle of this, that, and the other. But when she, when she passed away, I, I held on to every voice message that I had in my voicemail box. And I remember when I got down to the last one, I kept saving for 30 days, saving for 30 days. And then my cell phone provider changed the, the way they did their phone system, the, the, the voicemail system. And when I went to hit the button, I always hit to save for 30 days. They had changed it and it accidentally got deleted. And that was it. I had no more recordings of my mom telling me she loved me on my voicemail. And I was really, uh, I was upset by that for, for a while. And, um, and I thought that was comforting to me. It was nice. It was, you know, a little thing, but it mattered to me. So I'm thinking maybe some people might want to have an Alexa that sounds like their mom. I personally don't want my Alexa to sound like my mom. But but ultimately, I look at that and I think it, maybe that is helpful to people. I just don't know how they would quantify that. Your thoughts? Um, I, I actually read a very similar article, and they were actually doing the voices as their mothers are lost ones, but they were in human replica form, um, which is, you know, skin eyes. Wow. It's very interesting. Um, I personally think that if we need to hold on to something like that, we're not healing emotionally from, from the pa you know, from the death and the passing on of a, a, a loved one. I too have lost my mother. And, uh, you know, many years ago, we didn't have the cell phones, voicemails, and I hold on to certain things. Um, but I don't think that by holding on or keeping that voice is actually letting you go through the grieving and the healing process to actually heal and move on from that. So it's, it sounds like the AI robot could help, but not necessarily uh, be a replacement for any human interaction. What type of help do you yes. think? Well, ultimately, what type of help do you think this would provide? Okay, so I have been tapping into the little bit of the chat GPT, and that's great and awesome and amazing. Um, and if we want to have a companion there, I could understand. I even read a, um, a study on, you know, um, AI replacing nurses or caregivers. My I'm, I'm all for moving forward with the, with the future. What my concern is and my thing, my questioning is why are we focusing on robots or AI to replace the human when we have 500 million people in the world that we can connect with, that people want to be caregivers, that people want partnerships. If I'm lonely and you're lonely, why are we not meeting in, in person or human contact and in, in replacing a, a human with a robot? 
Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such a, a focus I, on fixing loneliness with a robot? You know, I, I've been really doing a lot of deep studying in this and even paying attention to when I'm out. Um, I just think everybody is disconnected. I think that obviously the social media aspect, the pandemic didn't help. And I think that we all lost um, our values and what actually makes society tick. It's the emotion. The, you know, we need human touch. We need human contact. We need to be able to have those emotions that AI cannot. And I think that we're looking for that and other aspects than going back to what we were made for, belly to belly contact. Fascinating. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So you're saying people kind of got accustomed to the idea of, oh, you're not alone. I'm on Zoom, right? Look at me. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like, no, we're like, I, I want to buy you a beer at the bar. And you can't really do that, right? You can't belly up to the bar if you're not really next to somebody. And people tried it and they were probably having drinks via Zoom or whatever. But it, it really isn't um, a replacement for actually going out with friends. It is not. It's definitely not a replacement. I've actually had a, quite a few clients come on that are very lonely, even though they have the social media and the Zoom. You know, they love, thought that they would love working from home and they cannot wait to get back into the office just to be around the interaction. So many well, people I, are now not. Go ahead. I know. I'm really thrilled to hear that because I'm one of those people. Right. I, 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 I've never liked working remote ever. And, and people, when I feel like I'm the only guy ever when I meet people and, you know, I tell them, uh, you know, that, that I had for during COVID, they set up a, uh, a studio in my home and I could broadcast from there and people would tell me, oh, that's gotta be fantastic. And I was like, what's so fantastic about it? It's a radio studio that you want to be in, right? With people, with engineers or producers, with ideas and just humanity. And you don't get any of that when you have a studio with only one person in it being you. So uh, I think that's an excellent point. And if you don't mind, I'd like to um, pull on that thread a little bit when we return. Folks, we're on with Christy Kearns. She's a life coach and we're discussing AI loneliness and why the push for all of this uh, AI powered robots to help people rather than just letting people combat loneliness with other people. How's that for a novel idea? The phone number 833-482-5337. And of course, you can get your calls in now on this topic. And at the top of the hour, it's Open Phone America. And you can weigh in on any topic. So feel free to get your calls in on that, on any topic. You could start that now. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So while some say that AI-powered robots can help uh, fix, cure, or, or assist with loneliness, others are saying more AI equals only one thing, more loneliness, because more people will be by themselves for more time. Uh, spinning their own wheels, Americans trapped in a loneliness epidemic across the country have fewer social interactions. 
So as a result, you need more social interactions, right? That's what others would, would argue. And they're saying, um, again, the Surgeon General saying that loneliness has been compared to a mortality similar to that of smoking 12 cigarettes per day. So our guest, Christy Kern, she's a life coach. If uh, one of your clients came to you for life coaching and said, hey, look, uh, I'm feeling very lonely. I need a robot uh, or I'm thinking of getting a robot or, or using AI in one way or another. Uh, what would your advice to them be, Christy Kearns? Well, my advice would be, why do you feel that you're not worthy of having a human companion or friendship? And why do you feel that you need to go and purchase something? Obviously, that would be a question I would ask. And I would tap in a little bit deeper and try to understand why is the robot in replace of a human? Because there's something, unfortunately, internally going wrong there. Yeah, and, and perhaps they may feel like robots might be um, less judgmental than actual people. Because it seems to me, uh, f- from just different things that I'm reading, that there are currently a bunch of young men that are unemployed in America between the ages of like 25 and 54. Uh, I think something like 7 million of them. Um, and of this group, many spend at least 2,000 hours each year um, on screen time. This is about the same amount that people actually spend working. So when you have all these people that are, you know, doing everything, running the gamut from playing video games um, and everything else that people do online, pornography, work, entertainment, you name it, uh, it seems like we're headed towards more of a loneliness epidemic because people are becoming so dependent on screens. Do you agree? They are. I agree 100%. And they are. What, what unfortunately, that the, this age range, will say, um, does not understand is that AI can only work with input of data. So if, you know, if you're not getting your social skills, what are you going to input them? If you're just gaming the whole day, what are you going to input that robot as a companion? You have to be able to teach them how to be your companion. So it's still teaching a human how to have a human relationship. So how do you ultimately advise people? I guess you're saying to try to find out why they feel that a robot is better than, than, than a person. And if that's the case, how does someone overcome that? Well, it's working and obviously going deeper into what makes you think that, for one, why are you not social? happened where you became not social? Why are you not working? Why are you spending all your time on screen time and not pouring into yourself or trying to have interactions like human beings? There's so many layers that they have to get to. I mean, even the building that I live in, there's a couple of younger gentlemen, the same thing, and they've done very well for themselves, but, and they're in front of the screen, the screen and, but they are very, very introverted and they do not even have a conversation with you in the elevator. They don't know how to make eye contact with you. They're very, you know, smart kids apparently, and obviously they've been successful, but there's no social skills. So every time I see them, I make it, 
a point until they say hello. <laughs> Just say now, hello. It's okay. What do, you, what do you think that's about, this this lack of social skills? Can we blame it all on COVID? Can we blame it all on technology, or is there more to I it? Think it's, I think it's a mix of both, honestly. I mean, I obviously, the social skills with the younger generation have become very limited. You know, you don't even, you know, they're not even teaching handwriting these days. Everything's on the computer or a laptop or iPad. And then you have the pandemic where you couldn't even go into you know, classrooms. And that's, that's how kids develop their social skills. I mean, that was taken away from them. So they, they're, the brains aren't even programmed to even know how to socialize. So you have that on top of the social media and, you know, all this um, not real stuff that they're on. They, they have no social skills. They're not taught. Yep. Understood. Uh, Christy Kearns, let everyone know that's listening, how they could follow the work that you're doing and, uh, how they could, um, you know, learn more about what you do. Um, they can reach me. At, I have a website. It's called Mastering Your Life with Christy or obviously, um, LinkedIn and it has all my personal contact information there. Outstanding. Well, thank you for joining us. I appreciate the conversation and, uh, Godspeed to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. My pleasure. So, folks, more to more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussion on this loneliness and AI and what, why are so many young men really suffering from this? Because it seems to be more boys than girls in, in this uh, interesting uh, situation. Plus, all the other topics that we've had discussion on tonight are up for grabs and uh, including the uh, the pretending to, to be black in order to get into a medical school, which I thought was a fascinating story. So I want to get your take on those things. Of course, Open Phone America is coming up uh, straight ahead at the top of the hour. So you can uh, start getting your calls in for that. Let me give you the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. So there's um, that report from the Surgeon General where basically we know that uh, they've declared loneliness an epidemic. And it fascinates me because, you know, some are um, referring to it. Daniel Cox from Insider.com writes that it's um, a friendship recession. And I think that's interesting, a friendship recession. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Like one more thing that's difficult to find uh, in during the in the Biden economy, Bidenomics, right, means you you get to stay home a lot more and, and, and take closer trips. You know, your vacations are closer to home. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated with this idea of, of AI and how people plan to use it in order to, um, to do just about everything, right? They're like, oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to get through college and, you know, we're just going to have AI do our papers. We're going to have AI keep us company. We're going to have AI do everything under the sun. And I just don't know that it, it's a thing. Now, it may be a thing for some. But as other guests that we've had in the past have brought up, 
some of these people end up becoming like serial killers, right? Because they are incels, these involuntarily celibate young men who just uh, are beside themselves and, and don't know how to, to comport their, themselves and conduct themselves in life. So when you have a situation like that, it's, it just is an interesting um, dilemma or conundrum, if you will, because I think, man, this, this is tricky. Like, how do you get people that are used to being alone, used to being isolated, used to being antisocial, how do we get them out of the house and just say, hey, it's time to switch it up so that you don't become a serial killer? I don't know. Maybe I'm taking a too deep of a leap there. But uh, we're going to continue with your calls and more. Open Phone America is coming right now. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And um, you're welcome to join us on our late-night national town hall forum. This is Open Phone America, the third and final hour of the program. It's the Monday night edition, and I welcome you to call us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a bunch of things I want to get into, but one of them is um, over the weekend there was a lot of back and forth with uh, political candidates, a lot of interviews, a lot of uh, just a lot of a lot of campaigning, if you will, a lot of early campaigning going on. And it remains that the front runner on the Republican side remains uh, former President Trump uh, without something like a 40 by some accounts, a 50 point lead uh, over the next competitor, which uh, in most situations is uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, an excellent politician and in uh, in one poll, the the person that came in second, I think it was a Turning Point USA poll, was uh, I'm forgetting his name now, Perry Johnson. I hope I'm saying that right, uh, or I'm not messing up his name. But he's a, a former governor, I think. But before I say any more words, I'm gonna just stop and have the team in the studio let me know who the uh, second place candidate is, Perry something or other and what he did for a living and why he's running for president. Forgive me, I, I talked about it once, I just don't remember. Um, but we are going to um, look at this situation and think whomever this second place candidate is, Perry Johnson, I got it right, Perry Johnson. And what, what did Perry Johnson do? See a former governor? A businessman, okay, so he's like, he's taking the Trump angle, he's a... Uh, businessman. Thank you, Count Delacula, for uh, telling me that in my ear. So, yeah, with that being the next uh, person in, in that particular poll, and I think that was really the the crowd uh, just responding to the fact that I, I think he wasn't there. I, I don't know if the other one was there, but I know uh, the Florida governor didn't make it to that particular event. And this is, I think, part of why people are 
you know, kind of saying, hey, you know, we, we want to hear from you and you're not here, so we're, we're not going to vote for you. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact that there's a clear um, a widening of that gap. And I get it. And I, I bring that up because I think Trump is looked at by many. Both his critics and 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 uh, acolytes as someone that is tried and true, like, you know, like in Spanish, my mother would say, malo que sea, pero eso lo conozco, right? Be, he may be as bad as he is, but I know him. And, and again, not intimating that Trump is bad. I'm just saying it's, you know, it's like the old saying, better the devil that you know than the devil that you don't. And I think there's a lot of truth in these old refrains, these old adages, because people do want to know what they're, what they're dealing with. And I think as, as much as people said, look, I'm the anti-Trump, right? I'm the anti-Trump. Vote for me. I'm Joe Biden. There'll be no more racism. We'll never build that wall. Anything Trump said, I'll do the exact opposite. Come on, man. I got hairy legs, right? You know, all the crazy things. You ain't black. And all these crazy things he said. All of a sudden, people are saying, well, you know what? That stuff wasn't as good as we thought. And, you know, El Trumpito wasn't as bad as we as as the media made him out to be. So here we are with Trump doing well with a lot of people. I mean, I was going to grab a clip of audio, but it was so profanely laden. I couldn't. But it was a man uh, on the street in a in some urban neighborhood, a very, very populated one. And I think he had just walked into like a, a bodega and he says, I'm going to tell you the effing truth. Right now, we need effing Trump back in the effing White House. <laughs> and he just goes on and on and on about all of these um, all of these reasons, you know, about how, you know, Trump's not doing anything for us. We well, maybe now Biden's not doing anything for us. We, we need Trump back. Things weren't this bad when when Trump was in office. And again, I think all of these statements are true. So, you know, it, it comes uh, as no surprise to me that that people look to him for these things. There's another interesting uh, social media meme out there. And again, that's not um, the only place I get my information, but it's where I find a lot of funny stuff. And, and, and in the meme, uh, it, it's got a picture of, you know, of, of Obama and a picture of, of Biden. And it says, you know, I let Putin in uh, Crimea. And the other one says, I let Putin in uh, uh, wherever it was, the Donbass region. And, and then there's a picture of Trump and it says, I never let Putin in. And, and I think people realize that, too, that Trump has repeatedly said he would end this war in 24 hours. And he repeated that over the weekend on Fox News with Maria Bartiromo. But this time he explained a little bit more. And it's what I've always suspected. Listen to this. You could end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours. Yes. I How would you do that? Uh, I know Zelensky very well. I felt he was very honorable because when they asked him about the perfect phone call that I made, he said it was indeed. He said it was he didn't even know what they were talking about. He could have grandstanded. Oh, I felt threatened. Well, that's not going to be enough for Putin to stop bombing. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that I know Zelensky very well and I know Putin very well, even better. And I had a good relationship, very good with both of them. I would tell Zelensky no more. You got to make a deal. I would tell Putin. If you don't make a deal, we're going to give them a lot. We're going to give them more than they ever got if we have to. I will have the deal done in one day. One day. And, and this is where I think people think, oh, Trump thinks. No, listen, I, I, I think it's the right approach. I think it's what Biden should have done from the very beginning. It, to me, this is so important. Whether you're a dad breaking up your kids that are having a sibling uh, fight or, 
or a president trying to negotiate with two countries that are at war with each other, and you've got the clout, right? You step to this saying, look, I'm president. Neither of you wants a problem with me. I don't want a problem with you. But each of you wants something. Somebody somewhere is going to make a deal at some point. One of you is going to capitulate. Probably both of you are going to make concessions to get to something that resembles what you want. Right? I don't think that any of them, whether the Russians or the Ukrainians, can endure a, a war that doesn't end ever. It may take more years, but it has to end at some point. So why not figure out what that point is and let's get to that place and negotiate. And again, this is what business people do. And and part of a, a solid negotiation, and I think I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I know you know this, but I'm just reiterating for the sake of 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 putting it out there is it's like buying a car or anything else. Yeah. And somebody's going to say, Oh my gosh, Valdez is on the radio saying that the war in Ukraine is like buying a car. No, I'm saying that negotiating is negotiating. It, it really is in many ways. You can't be emotional about it. And maybe they are right now where they're like, no, absolutely not. I have to restore the Russian Federation or the other one. Absolutely not. I'm going to protect my Ukrainian homeland. And they're very emotional, but a good negotiation is devoid of emotion, in my opinion. You get past the emotion and you get to that place where you say, all right, let's let's make a solid deal. And I think Trump can can get both parties there. I really do. I think it makes the most sense to have. And it's what forget Trump. Any American president can do it. I believe Trump can do it probably better than in the rest of these guys. But I think Joe Biden can do it. And this is why I was saying it from from the beginning of this conflict. Where is Biden on this? Why isn't he using the Oval Office, the strength of the, his of his position, the bully pulpit? He is the president of the United States, and he's kind of ignoring this and not doing anything, not using any leverage to get to uh, to to yes on both sides. Let's just get to yes and move on. What is it that you want? And it's going to take a while. And it, you know, it's kind of like uh, the showdown that we saw with McCarthy and, and Biden. I mean, all negotiations. Are, are contentious and they're not easy, but you do get to a resolution and it may not be the one you want, but you do get there. Somebody's going to have to give, the other one's going to have to bend. Eventually you get to a place where you have some agreement and you close the deal. And, th- and that's how negotiating works. And that's what politics is all about. But it seems like we've forgotten that and we're not doing that. And I just can't, I can't understand why other than Biden's afraid or he just doesn't care to. Either way, it's unacceptable. More to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And 
We, we were talking about AI a little while ago and how they're using AI for just about everything that they can try to use it for. The latest thing they're using it for is to try and fix the loneliness epidemic we have. And again, according to uh, Daniel Cox, he's a writer for Insider.com, he says the price that we'll pay for AI in the future, more loneliness. And I think he's probably right on that one. Let's uh, go to the phones. Let's check in with some of our callers. Let's go to uh, Michigan. Check in with Kim, who's listening on KDKA Online. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Thank hey. you. Um, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I wanted, to talk, I wanted to talk about this AI companionship stuff. This is the most stupid thing. Um, it reminds me of... Uh, men and their blow-up dolls and stuff, you know, <laughs> in lieu of, you know, having a woman or a girlfriend or a wife or whatever, it, you know, they have a blow-up doll. And, and they even came out with these um, AI pets uh, of, about seven or eight years ago. I saw them, you know, little yipping mechanical dogs and cat, you know, and when there's all these homeless pets in animal shelters, you know, um, and both my pets, I've, all I've gotten for years, for a number of years, a couple decades, is shelter pets. You should go get a shelter pet. You know, I'm sure my cat and my pit bull are glad I picked them and didn't go get a mechanical dog and a mechanical cat and stuff. And and the other thing I wanted to say is about Ron DeSantis. I I always liked him. Um, he's very smart. Just mm-hmm. just uh, uh, he has a lot of good qualities, but I don't like what he's doing to President Trump. I I think the smart thing. What in particular? Done, what are you talking about? He's he's just talking bad about him and stuff like that, and and saying that uh, he didn't he didn't. He thinks President Trump didn't get hardly anything done in his four years. And I think he got a lot done. You know, just right. all the miles, hundreds of miles of border wall. He can't help it that it's 1,900 miles long. He got a lot done. And I, I don't like him. I think his smartest thing would have been to um, support President Trump and then wait till uh, 2028. And then he would have been probably closer to 50 people in his state would have been happy because he spent his two terms there instead of, you know, scooting out partway through the second one, you know, and um, I think he would have had a good chance. But now he's alienated all the people that love Trump. And they're going to remember that the next time. And it's a shame because I don't think I think. His mega donors, they say he's got like eight mega donors. Um, they're even pulling their money back. But the, they're saying that they goaded him into doing this and he didn't really think about it. And I just think, what do you think about that? You know, I, I don't I don't have an opinion. I haven't had the chance to interview the, um, the governor. We I think we've invited him and he hasn't accepted. But what I can say is, I mean, I agree with some of what you're saying. Obviously, I think. It seems like it would have been, um, I guess I'm of two minds. Part of me thinks if I were Ron DeSantis and I wanted to run for president and it's clearly going to be a a contest between you and Trump, I I, I don't know. Like part of me thinks, well, I won't win, 
but I should get my name out there because I have to fundraise. I have to build an organization. If I do it now, it's kind of like a trial run where you can say, you know, I did this and um, now I know what to do come come the next time that I can run and I can hit the ground running. So I think there's part of it is that. I think there's uh, the other part of it is what you're saying, saying, you know what, he does have a lot on his plate. He is the governor of, of, of a, a busy, large state, and and he was just reelected just last year. So I think uh, a lot of people want to see him. And I think early on when there was rumors he might run, he might run, people were saying, we need Ron DeSantis in Florida. We need him there. So I think that there's a number of Floridians that feel like, you know what, don't leave us now. And and that poll I was talking about was a straw poll at the Turning Point event over the weekend. But still, the number was like 85, I think it was 85.7%. So let's just call it 85% of the people that were there said that uh, they were supporting Trump. And I think the number supporting DeSantis was something like 5% or in that range. This is a big deal, putting uh, Perry uh, Johnson in second place. So I feel that, uh, yes, DeSantis could uh, obviously have um, waited, uh, but I think there's also considerations like, you know, hey, I I need to get my name out there. I've got to test this thing out. So, you know, should he not win this primary? Now he he has a reference point to say, well, I didn't win because maybe we didn't have the the best communications people. We didn't have the best um, fundraising apparatus. We didn't have the best this or that. And and he's got a, a, a... a springboard to jump off of to launch his next presidential campaign. And I think that's very valuable for him. He also has not done a bad job raising money, right? Neither has Joe Biden, to be frank, right? Uh, Trump has definitely outraised him, um, DeSantis. But it doesn't mean that DeSantis still doesn't have $20 million in his war chest, which he does. So, I mean, it's nothing to laugh at. He's got serious donors that maybe some of them are bailing out, some of them aren't. But it puts you in a position where you can fight back, right? You can you can actually use some of that money to make the case that you're a very viable candidate. And clearly, Ron DeSantis is a very viable candidate. Uh, whether or not um, many of us may want to see him run right now is beside the point. He's still a very apt politician and and has, um, you know, he's, he's got a fighting chance for sure. So I think all of that considered, uh, I don't know what I would do if I were him, uh, but I understand why why he's done it from that perspective. I don't know if that makes sense, but I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Kim. Um, we're going to continue with more calls when we return. Plus, there's a great story. Well, not great, but it, it is a great story in that there was a woman that got out of her car to to rescue what she said was a toddler on a highway. Right? She saw a toddler on, on a highway, so she gets out to... to to save this kid and then she goes missing and she told her family about this and you know they found her car feet away from where where she was and but she was gone and then her family made this very impassioned plea on social media for her return uh, we, we covered the story briefly uh, on this program and as an update she's been found so I'm going to get into that and we'll talk about that and how that may have played out because very interesting, right? A lot of people saying that there's a big child trafficking problem that we're not paying much attention to, and I'm going to pay some attention to it. Plus, I'm, I'm interested in your phone calls on affirmative action, AI, and everything else we're talking about. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ is the phone number. 
or get at me on social media at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez. Looking forward to your opinions and more as we return. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, we're talking about a bunch of different things, and we're getting to your calls momentarily. Thanks for your patience. Continue to hold. I just want to uh, cover this um, clip of audio because, again, this woman went missing. Uh, She's back now, but she was missing. And in the time she was missing, her family made this impassioned plea to get her back and explains exactly what happened. And it's eerie to me that this thing even happened at all. Listen to this. My sister was traveling on I-459 after leaving work here in Hoover, Alabama. She spotted a toddler and she stopped to render aid as any decent human being with a heart would do. She contacted 911 as she's been taught, and then she spoke with another one of our family members. My family member hears a scream, and then my sister vanishes along with that toddler. Her car and belongings were all left at the scene. So that really happened, right? And now this is a, a very interesting story because uh, her name, Carly Russell, and this is her brother, his name, last name Bishop. Marquis, Marquis Bishop, and she's from Alabama. Carly Russell vanished and then returned home on foot after vanishing for two days, according to the police. Now, according to this article here in the New York Post, many questions remain unanswered in the case of the woman who reemerged after two days of disappearance on the side of a busy highway. But she did return on foot. Authorities have released uh, very little details on this investigation into, uh, again, her name's Carlethea Nicole Russell. She goes by Carly. She's a 25-year-old nursing student who vanished after she told police that she saw a baby boy on the side of I-490, or, uh, I-459 in Hoover, Alabama. That happened around 9.35 p.m. last Thursday. Now, she reemerges and reappears at her home 48 hours later, around 10.45 p.m. on Saturday. Her family called 911 to say that she'd returned home on foot. Previous reports indicated that Miss Russell was dropped off at the home and appeared to be in shock. However, police and, the, uh, and fire department officers rushed to the uh, home and transported her to a local hospital before she was treated and released. Investigators uh, took a statement from Miss Russell and said that the statement is part of the ongoing investigation, which is expected to continue for the next few days. 
Now, cops haven't released any new information, including anything about a suspect, Russell's injuries, or how she made her way back home. And this is a you know a healthy looking, sane looking young woman. So I'm I have I have so many questions here as to what happened, what exactly happened. Uh, her family and her husband have been vocal, not only about their delight at her return, but also about the conditions of her disappearance and the time that she spent away from home. Saying she was literally fighting for her life for 48 hours. So until she's physically and mentally stable again, she's not going to be able to give any updates or whereabouts on her kidnapper at this very moment. That's Thomas Latrell Simmons, who identified as her uh, boyfriend on Facebook. That was a statement he put on on Sunday. Now, Simmons also thanked those who helped in the search and rescue and said that. um, Oh, this is interesting. And he also called out people who accused him of being involved. Very interesting. What would he have to do with it? Did he put the kid on the highway? I mean, that's that's kind of weird. Uh, Miss Robinson Sr., her mother, told uh, WVTM television that she believed the young boy who Carly saw on the side of the road was used as bait to lure an unsuspecting passerby like her to get out of her vehicle. The 911 call center revealed that this call that came in from a woman later to be determined, Russell, um said she saw a toddler walking on the side of the interstate. The boy was wearing a diaper, and Russell said that she estimated this boy to be three to four years old. Russell then hung up with police and called her brother's girlfriend as she pulled over to check on the child, but that's when things went awry. Here's another quote from uh, Alabama.com. My son's girlfriend heard her asking the child, are you okay? She never heard the child say anything, but then she heard our daughter scream. From there, all you hear on the phone is background noise on the interstate. Police who arrived on the scene saw no sign of Russell, the young boy, or anything. But they did find her car door open and her belongings still inside. The engine was still running and they found her phone on the ground, along with her wig and her hat. That's really messed up. Her purse was still in the car. Her Apple Watch was in her purse and her AirPods as well, so they didn't steal anything. So it wasn't a robbery. They wanted her. A witness reported seeing a gray vehicle near the scene and uh, a light-complexioned male standing around Russell's car, according to police reports. Interesting story, because it makes you think, what was it a kid that they use as bait? Was it really a kid that maybe escaped from some sort of child trafficking ring that she stumbled upon? And when she stumbled upon trying to rescue this kid, they said, we got to take her too. But if so, why give her back? Did they use the kid as bait to steal something from her that maybe wasn't in her bag, like a kidney? I mean, I don't know what, what's happened to her. And, and I'm glad that she's home with her family and that she's well. But we know there's so many interesting angles here. And, you know, I, I'm just so curious to know what is the deal here with this story. Anyway, investigators are still analyzing the traffic camera footage 
and the 9-11 call from uh, the time of her disappearance. And again, we now know that sometimes investigators, when they look at video footage uh, or they try to use cameras, they come up empty handed, kind of like the curious case of cocaine in the White House. Nobody seems to know anything. So I'm curious to know, and I'd love your thoughts on this. What do you think? Did she stumble on a uh, on a child trafficking ring? Did she, did, you know, did did she get like lured into a trap? I, I'm I'm so puzzled on this one that she's back and she's well. And I don't know if you know if they stole any organs. I hope they didn't. That's not part of the report, but I know that's a thing. And oftentimes they don't kill you. You just wake up two days later and you're all screwed up. Um, who knows? Anyway, your thoughts on this and more uh, straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. The phone number 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 Five three three seven eight three three four Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. America at night with. Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, going to the phones for your thoughts on this. We've got calls from all over the place. Hopefully we get to them all. Let's go to Bill calling from Powell, Wyoming. k Pow. Go right ahead, Bill. Welcome. Rich, um, I have, I'm one of those people that I can I can talk your arms and legs off if you're willing to stay around long enough talking to me. Wonderful. I've, I've learned. Uh, Do you work in talk radio? I, uh, I I have never worked in talk radio. I've had numerous t- people tell me I should be working in talk radio, but getting into talk radio is about as Im- about as impossible as anything else that I've ever possibly tried to get into, uh, <laughs> because of the fa- because of the fact that, quite frankly, I'm I'm not that terribly interested in being in talk radio, uh, other than the way that you are. You know, yeah. I, I've thought about actually. Well, setting let's up, let's go back to the topic at hand because we're getting lost here. Uh, let's talk about your thoughts on artificial intelligence. Well, exactly. Um, Artificial intelligence is very good at doing anything you can program it to do. It's like any other machine. It's basically a machine that's completely programmable. And the problem is, I understand that that, that your guest uh, doesn't think that, well, you know, computers don't have empathy. They don't have, you can program a computer to act empathetic in ways that you cannot possibly get a human being to act empathetic if they don't care about the person that they're talking to. 
And I run into people all the time that I can have a conversation with right up until the point where I figure out that they aren't really that interested in talking to me about what we're talking about because they, I've already run to their edge of their of their information. They really don't know what we're talking about because we progressed to the point where they I'm I'm at the I'm 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 hitting their ignorance range. Okay. I see. Well that makes sense. If you're talking to people that aren't interested in speaking with you or don't understand what you're talking about because they're unfamiliar with the content, then it doesn't make for a good conversation, right? So that makes sense. And whether it's AI or real people, either way, right? I I mean if somebody called here and said, Hey look, I want to talk about cars uh, I'll talk about cars and as much as I know about cars, but you know, our topics are, are usually not cars and, and I, I could see how that would be a mismatch. And I get your point that for some people, AI, if you do, if you program it well, it'll make sense, um, for m- more than, than humans might. And that's why this might be a solution for some people. Point well taken. I appreciate it. Bill in Wyoming, KPOW. Let us uh, continue here. Where do we go from here? We go to Albany, New York, other side of the country. Linda, go right ahead. Thank you for taking my uh, call, Rich. Um, About the woman, it's not good in this day and age. Call the police, but don't get out of your car. Keep it locked and keep um, reviewing what's around you. And I'm thinking in this day and age, hopefully if it could be done uh, inexpensively enough for all people to have on their cars, like the police do, some um, camera stuff. Yeah. Then if there's a problem, it could be reviewed. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because I remember getting in a, I went to a party once and I took an Uber home. And the Uber driver or Lyft, one or the other, had a, a camera facing inside and out. And I, I thought it was interesting because it was beneath his, um, you know, rear view mirror. And I was like, oh, so you, you record everything? He said, everything, inside and out. And I said, why? He said, well, the inside is, you know, if there's any conflict with, you know, a drunk passenger on a weekend or something like that, you know, this way there's a video of it. And he said, in the outside, he said, you know, sometimes you're on the road and people do the craziest things. And you, 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 you need a record of that stuff. This way you can, you know, go to the tape. And I was like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it seems to be working for, for everybody else who can prove this and prove that by going back to the tape. So why not? Uh, and I'm, I, I thought, interesting. I haven't gotten one for myself, but I agree with you. That's interesting. Now, the other part of this that you said, and I, I don't think your advice is bad. I think you're, you're smart to say, look, call the cops, but don't get out of the car. The problem here is I think this. If I saw an infant on the side of a road and he looked like he was by himself, I would be fearful that this, or not an infant, but a toddler, um, I would be fearful that this kid might end up in traffic and hurt himself or worse. So that part of it, um, that trap may work a a heck of a lot of times, especially with, with people that have children or partial to children. Uh, that might say, you know what, I got to go and help this kid out. So uh, I I can tell you a true story. I was once on Interstate 287 cutting through New Jersey, and I saw a kitten. And I'm not a cat person. I'm a dog person, but I'm not a cat person. But I saw a kitten literally go across three lanes of this highway, and it got to, like, the lane where I was traveling in, and there was a car in front of me, 
And th- this kitten, I'm talking kitten, like, I don't know, less than a month old. And was smart enough to wait till the car went by before it, jar- you know, uh, darted uh, in front of the, my car and made it to the other side. And I thought, wow, hopefully it's not going to try and go back uh, because it's going to be, you know, French toast, Swiss cheese, you name it, roadkill. And, and I was just uh, impressed at how agile this little kitten was and, and thought to myself, man, you know, uh, had that been a puppy, I probably would have gotten out of the car and been like, hey, you know, what are you doing? And let me help you. And uh, kind of like the story I told you guys about a month ago where I saw a dog on a highway. And I did pull over and the dog came over to me and I was trying to keep him there, like close to my car until the cops came. And lo and behold, the cops don't want to come. They're like, can you bring the dog to us? And like a sucker, I agree. And then the dog wouldn't get out of my car for an hour. And I vacuumed it so many times that dog shed so much. Anyway, my point is people, you know, um, they're, they're a sucker for people that are in need, whether it's a dog or a kitten or a baby. And, um, I hear what you're saying, Linda, but I don't know that you're going to keep uh, concerned people in their cars when that happens. But let this be a lesson for all of us. Thank you, Linda, for the call. Big shout out to everybody on WGDJ, excellent station out of upstate New York. Don't go anyway. There's more to come straight ahead. A lot of calls. Hopefully we can get through those in the little time we have. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's... Where do we go from here? We're going to go to... I think we're going to go to Jim Sheffield Lake, Ohio, WNIR. Jim, go right ahead quickly. Hey, Rick, let me tell you about this AI. I got this job picking stuff up, and you're supposed to check out on the the computer, you know, on your phone. Mm -hmm. There's a couple places right down the street from me, and I was stopping there first. And the lady went crazy when she found out I wasn't putting it on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a fan of the AI, huh, Jim? No AI for you? No, I mean, she, I mean that poor thing, she still shook up about that. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for the call, brother. I, could, I appreciate it. Listen, I know people get bent out of shape for that stuff. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, we continue. Thanks, Jim, for the call. WNIR out of Ohio. Let's go to Jane, Saratoga, New York, WTBJ. Jane, very quickly, go right ahead. Okay, hey, Rich. No, what happened to the woman? The child was a distraction. The woman bit hook, line, and sinker. People do. When someone, I'm an abuse counselor, when people suffer extreme trauma, their brain rescues them, and they can stay shut down for quite a while and not want to talk about it or remember it. So that's a pretty common occurrence. So. Yeah. And, you know, and it's sad. And I, I get that the whole shock thing. And it's, it's I just want to know more. I want to know what you know, did, did they harm her? Did they steal a kidney? What is going on? Was she raped? I mean, this is fearful for me. This girl's just a couple of years older than my oldest daughter. And I, I want to know what the latest scam is. And, and so I could tell everybody on this wonderful program that we have. Jane, thanks for your expertise and for your call. 
WTBJ out of New York. And with 30 seconds to go, we're going to go with Al in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN. Go right ahead. Hey, how you doing, Rich? Thanks for Wonderful. taking the call. Hey, listen, I want to yes, talk sir. about Donald Trump. He's the first American president of the 21st century. He still is and will be next year. Um, he's yeah. the only guy that can do anything about what's going on in this crazy country right now. All the other people are doing okay, but they can't fix what he can fix. Yeah, I would love to know more about that, Al. But the music means they're kicking us both out. But I agree with you. I think Trump has uh, the best um, track record because he's done this job already. And it's his. This is his to lose, right? So I think that's why he's 50 points ahead. Anyway, take care. Hasta la próxima. We're going to do this again. God bless. I'm doing it tomorrow. You stay right here. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.